0: Hello everyone, welcome in to another episode. It's Capturing the Game, the Game Within the Game podcast featuring me, your co-host Desmond Jones and Brady. Uh, today, we got another fabulous outstanding guest. Um, looking, we're looking very forward to, to interviewing her. She is a basketball analysis on ESPN, Ohio Ohio Valley Conference and Atlantic Sun Conference. She's a a freelancer and she's also the host of a Coach for Coach uh, and author and also the author of A Coach Like a Mother. Uh, She is yours truly, Helen Williams. Helen, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing fine, how are you guys doing?
0: Doing pretty good, you know, bearing all the technical difficulties that we just went through, but you know, we making it happen.
1: That's part of it, that's part of it. There's always
0: something. Yeah. It is. Um, So Helen, can you do us the honor and the pleasure and go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself so that the audience can get to know who you are.
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm a former college basketball player. I was a walk-on at Wake Forest University, played basketball and um, got out of uh, when I graduated from college. I was was dead set on not having a real job. I wanted to do something that I enjoy, so I got into coaching and Coach for over 25 years on the collegiate level, and then uh, after I got out of coaching, decided that I wanted to do some consulting with coaches uh, and help them with their professional development and their uh, strategic planning for their careers because that's not something coaches do on a consistent basis. Um, so I started doing that, and uh, as you said, I, I do. Uh, I'm an analyst for basketball and uh, also started my show last year, Coach for the Coach, because I wanted to find another way to educate coaches. So that's basically what I've been doing, um, you know, over the last year or so.
2: Yeah, that's also very interesting. How – so within your career, how did you get started with being a color uh, analysis? Like, what led you to get into that type of career?
1: Yeah, you know, I just – the game has always been really good to me and I never wanted to be far away from it. And, uh, so I started back in the day when there were, uh, they were just starting streaming. Um, I was doing an internship at MIT after I got out of coaching because I wanted to, you know, go behind the scenes in the athletics department to kind of see how they did things so I could help coaches better. Uh, I needed to have that perspective and, uh, they had some games and they started, uh, that's when they started streaming and asked me if I wanted to do the games. And I said, of course, you know, it was a way for me to stay around the game. And at that time we we didn't have enough and still don't have enough uh, actual coaches who do color analysis, people who've actually sat in that head coaching seat. And so, um, yeah, that's how I got started. And then over the years, got an opportunity to, you know, do some games on ESPN for the America East conference and uh, some championships for the Ohio Valley conference and Atlantic sun conference. So, uh, over the years just you know picked up a, a lot of different places where i'm doing it
0: uh, that's i think you bring up an extra, uh, excellent point when you mentioned that there's not enough coaches to do the color analysis because having those coaches to do the color analysis they bring another perspective to the game especially the audience that's listening or watching that they may not know or intel. Uh, and um uh, but i one of my favorite broadcasters to or color analyst, I always listen to is Stacey King because I'm a Chicago Bulls fan, and he does. Uh, he's big on. He has some coaching experience, not like on on a big level or anything, but he has done coaching before and also played in the league. So it's I always enjoy listening to him because not because of the funny sayings that he brings, but just because of the um, the the things that he points out during the game, as far as like the teaching moments of you know players on the coach on the court, what to do and what not to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've always been one to – I've always been a teacher. That's what coaches are. And so I really enjoy um, teaching people about the game on broadcast. And I think it's important to have someone who's actually sat in that seat and has a visceral understanding of what's, you know, what's going on when someone needs to call a timeout and and, and explain to people, you know, when you see things happening again and again, like why it's happening or what you should be looking for. And and I've just really enjoyed – you know, cheating the game, and so part of why I do it too is, is you know, I'm, I work with coaches and I consult with coaches, and so I'm teaching them, you know, through what I do on television as well.
2: Yeah, I think that brings a, um, a different limelight to it from being a coach, and you're doing that. And as you said, there's not that many coaches who are in color analysis because they've sat courtside and have coached the games, and they know. What's happening? So, how how is like the industry? What is industry like from when you first started, and like how has it changed to um, where it is at now, and where it uh, seems to where you think it seems to go here in the future? Well,
1: I mean, uh, an easy change is that obviously because of the pandemic, a lot of things were done remote this year, (laughs) so um, you can see, you know, how it's a different broadcast if you're not actually there um and I think that's probably something that's going to stay maybe not as much as um you know we had during the pandemic because we had to but I think that's probably something that you know people will explore as as a as a uh at least a, a lesser expensive way to you know to put on broadcast it's still not you know it, it's always optimum to actually be there um but in terms of the the business it's just like anything else it's about relationships and who you know and um, you putting in the time to make sure that when you do get your opportunity, you know, that you do a good job, um, that you do watch film and you do interview coaches and you do, you know, pay attention to the players and, and know what their tendencies are. I think, you know, people think you just get on TV and you just start talking. <laughs> but there's, there's if you do it right, there's a, an incredible amount of prep that you should be putting in to make sure that you give the coaches and the players the broadcast that they deserve.
0: What's one of the biggest, uh, and you could be, a, this is probably a real broad question, but what's some of the pitfalls that coaches fall into?
1: Well, you know, the biggest pitfall is, is really one that I fell into when I decided to get out of coaching is we're, um, we're not prepared for the next step and we're not preparing as we go along while we're coaching. What I mean by that is When you get into coaching, they give you a whistle and say, welcome to the profession. But they don't actually teach you how to be a coach. If you look at other industries, uh, pharmaceutical, medical, uh, insurance, there's always some continuing ed that you have to take to keep up your certification. And they don't really do that in coaching. And so what happens is when you start coaching, inevitably, you initially start coaching the way you were coached. That could be good. That could be bad. And so learning about all of the things that are important um, outside of the X's and O's, because coaches are always going to um, go to clinics and, you know, try to get better, whatever their sport is. But that is such a small piece of whether or not you can be successful. I've always said that coaches need to have proficiency in three areas, leadership, management, and communication. If you don't have proficiency proficiency in those three areas and you're not constantly evolving in those areas then that to me is a pitfall if you're not constantly changing with the times in terms of uh you know how you coach because all you know the kids are going to be different as you get older um then that's a, that's a pitfall there are some foundational things that you uh are going to be the same in terms of you know working hard respect for authority treating people the way you know you want to be treated but um you know, take technology for instance there's a gazillion things that come out all the time and you know when you're recruiting kids you know you have to know what's out there um, and you can't be one of these people that says well you know I'm too old for that or whatever but just I think paying more attention to yourself and your education in terms of the profession I think is a pitfall that coaches fall into because they think I just gotta I've just gotta be good at the x's and o's and that's really one of the reasons why I started my show. It's really one of the reasons why I just, you know, released a, a, an e-course for coaches because you need to take more of an academic approach to your career. We don't
2: do that. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. So this uh, e-course you said um, that you just created, what motivated you to create that? And like, what kind of things uh, briefly, if without giving all of it away for people to um, just yeah. know what that's about? Well, I... I... When I,
1: over the last year when I've been doing my show, um, it's, you know, I've been getting a lot of encouraging text messages, emails, you know, um, DMs and Twitter and everything. People have been really enjoying the information. And I just sat down and I thought, what else can I do for them besides just have these guests on? And, and we have great guests and we have wonderful information that's being imparted. But as I said before, we don't take enough of a, uh, an academic approach to our professional development. And I just thought about things that I wish I had known when I was coaching that would have made me a better coach. And I thought, okay, let me put these things together. And then what is the best platform? Because coaches are busy. You know, they don't have time to sit down and have a meeting for an hour and a half or to study for an hour and a half. And so I thought by putting something online uh, with very short modules that they would be able to um, be more intentional about that. Um, I have a a saying, there's a a rule 168 where there's 168 hours in the week. And if you wrote down every single thing that you, uh, did for that week, inevitably there's about three hours that you're not using to do real simple things like take an e-course that can, um, help you advance your career. So that's why I decided to put this together. And, um, we talk about things like your first 90 days, which is really important. Um, you know, when you first take over a program, especially if you're a new head coach, there's so much coming at you. You just have no idea. and You have to all of a sudden make all these decisions. Um, so we talk about how to help you figure out your first 90 days. We talk about effective communication, which is really key. You have to communicate with your players, with your um, staff, with your administrators. Um, and understanding that everybody communicates differently and everyone processes information differently is important. So we walk you through that. Um, one of my passions is making sure that coaches are proactive with their career, because we we the old way is we work really hard, you know, put all our time in, and and hope somebody comes and finds us. But I'm I'm trying to change that paradigm where coaches are more proactive and that they're doing things to create opportunities for themselves. So um, we talk about creating a a roadmap and and what is your figuring out what your job search criteria is so that you can get the job that's right for you. Not every job is right for you, um, but being strategic and mindful and planful about your career so that the jobs you get, you can keep and you can do well in. Um, We talk about fundraising for assistant coaches. Fundraising is huge now, and you're not going to be a viable candidate unless you have that skill, but there are a lot of assistant coaches who don't know how to get that skill if they're not the head coach because that's normally who goes out you know and interacts with donors. So so things like that, um, whether it's uh financial planning, um, you know, our business is a bottom line results-based business. So we have to handle our our money a little bit different than other folks um in terms of that. So, you know, things that I thought were important um off the field or off the court that that directly impact your success on the field or on the court.
0: For- someone that uh that's an audience that inspiring to be a head coach one day or to be assistant coach one day and they are just you know say they're fresh out of college what's the best advice that you would give them today
1: um the best advice i would give is it's all about relationships and it's all about um leveraging those relationships, I always say to people, you know everyone you need to know to get where you want to be. The question is how are you leveraging those relationships and um, you know building those opportunities where uh, people are looking at you and obviously you know the normal things work really hard, you know have some initiative, um, you know go go uh, come early, stay late those things you know are the same but it's really about building, relationships, uh, strategic relationships that are going to help you get where you want to go. And I think sometimes young folks are not comfortable with that, but that's the way the world works. You have to develop mutually beneficial relationships. So that would be my first thing. And you could start with your, if you're just coming out of, um, you know, just coming out of college. You know, obviously your coach knows people. Uh, It'd be great if you get an opportunity with the coach that you just played for, but your coach knows other coaches. Um, You were recruited by coaches when you played. And so there are any number of ways to, you know, get those uh,
0: other opportunities. No, that makes uh, total sense. And one of the things that we always c- consistently hear on this particular platform is always about the relationship. You know, it's all about the connections that you make and uh, just how well you utilize those connections. And it's always about who you know and and just also just goes along with perfect timing as well.
1: Yeah. And who knows you? That That's yeah.
0: the key too. Yeah, Absolutely. What's, um, so let's talk about how you, how did you ended up becoming or landing at ESPN as a color analyst?
1: Well, I'm a freelance, so I don't work for ESPN. I don't want to misrepresent that. Um, Relationships, (laughs) you know, I had done done a seminar on fundraising for the America East Conference uh, one year and, that year, they had just signed a contract with ESPN for the, for the conference and they had to put on, you know, a certain amount of games. And so each school was responsible for finding their own um, analysts and, and, and color people and play by play people. And um, again, relationships. I, I, I knew uh, the, the, the coaches at uh, UMass Lowell and um, just literally put my stuff together sent them some information, set up a meeting and said, Hey, I, I, um, you know, I know you guys want to do this, right. And this is how I go about doing my broadcasts. This is how I prepare. This is, you know, how I approach my broadcasts." And uh, then just ended up, um, you know, that's how I started doing America East games. And then from there, you know, people seeing and and, and seeing my work and uh, ended up doing the championship every year for Ohio Valley conference and um, then started doing some stuff for the Atlantic sun. So you just, get in where you fit in initially just get your foot in the door and do a great job. um, And, you know, continue to cultivate those relationships and you can create opportunities for yourself.
2: Gotcha. What has been uh, with that, with your doing multiple like freelancing on different divisions, different um, games, what has been some of the challenges that you've seen um, between both things and what things have you had to change going to a, this broadcast to a different broadcast? Is there anything that has changed? Uh,
1: no, I mean, the biggest thing is, is just time and preparation, which is always a good problem to have. If you have, you know, more than one game a week, then you really have to, at least for me with the amount of preparation I do, it's, you really have to balance your time. And so I usually try to, um, you know, at the beginning of uh, before the season even starts, start going through film and watching players and, um, you know, looking at teams, uh, you know, in conferences that I feel like I'd want to be a part of um, so that uh, one of my favorite things is, you know, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. So, um, you know, if, if someone from the ACC says, hey, at the last minute, can you do a game, game for us? It's not like I haven't seen those teams before. And so I keep myself familiar with a lot of different teams and a lot of different conferences um, so that when I get that call, um, I'm ready. So I think that's the biggest part is just figuring out how much preparation uh, that you need to have if you have more than, you know, more than one game a week, which is really optimum. If you're a freelancer, you'd like to have more than one game a week.
0: Now That makes total sense. And um, man, I, I, you're probably the first person I know that's a, you know, a freelancer. And I think it, there's so much power in in be able to say that and and to do that. So I I tip my hat off to you <laughs> if I was wearing one at the moment, but you know I was just gonna pretend I was wearing one. Um, you know, I I kind of asked a similar question as far as for coaching, but now I'm gonna ask it for being a color analyst because you you've you've seen both both worlds. You know, for so for the people that's out there that are inspiring to become a color analyst what would be the best advice that you would give to them
1: uh it's the same I mean it's a very subjective business and so you can't take a rejection personally Um, you know you just have to keep getting your stuff out there and doing a good job with the opportunities that you that you do get um, because you may be doing a broadcast and the right person finally sees you. Or, you know, I've sent my, my information to people time and time again and gotten no, um, <clears throat> you know, no reaction. But if I get the right person to send it to them, then, you know, then I, I, I get a look. So again, it's about uh, relationships and just start wherever you can. I think that's the thing. It doesn't matter the level or whatever, because you need to put in the time. Like I said, I started... I started at MIT when they were just uh, when they were just beginning to stream games. Um, I think I got paid like twenty five dollars a game, um, and I didn't care. I, I just knew that I felt like I could be good at it, and I thought, okay, this is Division Three. Um, probably only the parents are listening, <laughs> so if I if I mess up, it's okay. I can figure out what kind of you know, analysts, I want to be, I can figure out what my style is, you know, um, sort of, sort of, um, you know, out of the picture. And so, you know, anything that you can find where you can take advantage of it, if it's high school, if it's, you know, I don't know, AAU or whatever, just, just take whatever opportunities you can and don't, you know, necessarily worry about the, the, the money. Um, you know, obviously not that that's not unimportant, but, you know, I'm a big believer in. you know, in in ten thousand hour rule, where you know you put in your time, and so anytime I do a broadcast, I, I literally have this notebook where I'm recording my hours to see, you know, uh, it's gonna be a while before I get to the ten thousand. Um, but I'm literally recording the hours that I work because I'm
2: I'm you know seeing how far that I've come. Yeah, that's kind of awesome to see. I've never uh, heard anybody that has um, record the hours like that. Um, this, oh, you said about the ten thousand hours is that. Uh, when you're going to stop doing this? Or do you have any aspirations no. for when you get to that 10,000 hour mark?
1: No, it, it's just a goal. And if I when, excuse me, when I get to the 10,000 hour mark, it, it, it means I've done what I plan to do. I've, I've, I've reached my goal. And I don't know how long it's going to take me to, to get that. Obviously, the more games I do, the, the quicker I do. Um, and I just count I'm probably, you know, I just count the actual broadcast that I do, but I probably should be counting the hours of prep as well. Um, but right now I'm just counting the, uh, the the hours I actually do. So when I get to 10,000 hours, that means I've had a, a pretty decent career so far.
0: How many hours are you in so far?
1: Uh, on purpose, I'm not counting because I know I'm a long ways uh, away. <laughs>
0: okay.
1: <laughs> it's going to be a minute. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to <laughs> overwhelm myself with what I have left
0: no I completely understand because just knowing how far away you are it could be you know kind of it kind of it could be depressing so
1: yeah well just you know we'll have another come back on your show again in five years and I'll be I'll be a lot closer so
0: I like it <laughs> what um so what inspired you to write your book
1: uh, same thing as I said earlier. Um, you know, when I got out of coaching, I really just was very self-reflective and thought about, well, how could I have been a better coach, and what you know, thought about the things that I should have known, the things I should have done. And I wasn't a terrible coach, but um, I thought, you know, no one really talks about what it's like to be a coach. What what kinds of things you have to go through while you're coaching when you become a head coach the types of decisions you have to make, um, you know, the scenarios that you'll find yourself in. And it was really just a long essay to myself. But when I finished it, I was like, oh, this will be really good information, you know, for for it. it's a book about coaching, but it's really about it's applicable to teaching and parenting because all of us are, are teachers or coaches that, you know, uh, in some sense. And so I just had to get it on paper.
2: <laughs> and uh, that's what it turned out into. <laughs> That's nice. Have have you had any uh, mentors along the way um, getting into the industry and then as you've been in this industry?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, one of my first mentors was my college coach. Um, She, when I graduated, I I went to graduate school. And then when I got done, um, he was, he was still at Wake Forest and he gave me my first uh, you know, college coaching job, Division One, and was very, um, you know, very supportive in everything. I would ask a thousand questions. Um, and at the time, you know, he couldn't uh, pay me a whole lot of money, but he found other ways to make sure that, um, you know, that I would be okay, finding, finding ways for me to, you know, to get meals, or finding a place to live, you know those kinds of things where you know at the time that the budget just wasn't there but he found other ways to make sure that i was okay and um you know let me do a lot of things and, and one of the things that i did the most of which i didn't realize at that time that i was preparing for now was um was i did a lot of scouting like he he liked to have a lot of information and so back in those days you could actually go and watch teams in person now it's you know all by computer on synergy and all that and, um, but back in those days, you could go live. And so, you know, he would send me the games. This was, I was at Wake Forest. And so obviously I was near NC State, uh, you know, UNC and Duke. And I was at one of those three places at least three times a week. And um, he helped me learn how to, uh, you know, to, to, to visually scout and pick things up live. And, and I didn't realize it, but that's what I do now, you know, with, uh, with the television that I do. Um, but just in the way that he took care of me, um, is, is how I wanted to take care of my assistants and how I wanted to make sure that I mentored other coaches. So he was one of my first, you know, role models for coaching. His name was Joe Sanchez, by the way. Um, he still wants me, he wants me to call him Joe, but I just can't. I just, I'm (laughs) old school. Every time I talk to him, he's like, you know, you can call me Joe. I'm like, coach, I can't call you Joe.
0: It just doesn't sound right. Yeah, once a once a coach always a coach for me sure. I can't I can't go back and call someone by their first name, a right. no matter no matter what what you know how far apart we are in age or how close we are in age or even how far removed I am from once being exactly. a player of yours <laughs>
1: yeah exactly
0: um what was some of your favorite moments from coaching that you like you just loved, or even if it was just certain players that uh, you coach, like you coached up along the way. Because one of the things that we like to do on on this particular platform is capture those some of those stories that uh, people may not have know, been aware of, or um, some of those stories that are I call it the the hidden gems that you know is a gold mine to us, and you know a lot of people may not know much about it just because it maybe immediate didn't get enough attention to, it or it just never got a, a chance to actually shine.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I was a division two head coach. And I think the, the, the biggest coaching moment I had was when my team was able to beat the number one team in the country at their place. Um, and and I, I, I talk about this in the book only because uh, I want coaches to understand that in spite of me, <laughs> we still beat the number one team in the country. And I say that because, you know, this was a, coaches are always stressed anyway um but the day before we were supposed to play the team in practice I just I was all amped up and and stressed and I, I didn't feel like my team was ready to play the number one team in the country I didn't feel like they grasped the enormity of that opportunity um and so I threw them out of the gym I mean the day before I play the number one team in the country at their place I just said you guys aren't ready just get out and after I did that, I went home and I thought, what have I done? We're going to get crushed tomorrow. (laughs) Like uh, I was (laughs) was like, we're going to get crushed. Um, You know, but we get to the game and we're doing pretty well and things are going well. And, you know, it's halftime and I'm like, okay, I I need to have some, I need to have some Lombardi-esque speech here, some Pat summit esque speech here (laughs) to to really get them going. And I just didn't have anything to say because I didn't know what to say. And I said, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to focus on the X's and O's because I want, at this point, they're playing so well. I want them to just think this is a normal game, right? I don't want them to get too amped up. And so we, you know, I go through the X's and O's and then I just say, Hey, listen, if you guys want to win this game, all of you have to do something you've never done before for us to win. Um, And so we go out in the second half and these kids are doing things. I've never seen them do. (laughs) I mean, kids who aren't athletic or jumping up and they're blocking shots, kids who, they can't shoot or hit in threes. I mean, it's just like, and I'm just at this point as the game, you know, as we get closer, there's more pressure, obviously on the other, other team that we're, you know, still close. And as we get to the, you know, towards the end of the game, I'm just saying to myself, just don't mess this up. Like, <laughs> like, like don't mess it up. Let them do what they're doing. Don't mess it up. Please make the right call. And, you know, I'm calling on, on, on every spirit I can think of to make sure I make, you know the right call and um you know we end up we end up winning the game and I thought you know again I just I couldn't believe it and what really made me uh think about something was the kids were so happy like they were so so excited because obviously it was a pretty big deal and um you know I was was you know I didn't enjoy their joy if that makes sense I wasn't Present, I was like, okay, great. We beat the number one team in the country. I'm on to the next game, right? And, and so we beat the number one team in the country and what I should have done is given them the next day off um, because it was such a big thing and, and, and everyone on campus was all you know, geeked up about it. Um, and I was just way too serious. And so we go from beating the number one team in the country on Tuesday to losing to the last place team in the conference on Saturday. And that was just a lesson to me that I needed to have handled that better. And, and, and again, just had I been more present and felt their joy and enjoyed that with them, I think I would have maybe had some different thoughts and taken a different path. And we still may have you know lost to the team, but um, we would have, I don't think I prepared them well enough for that. So there's a lot of little lessons in that story, you know, in, in terms of coaching and, and uh, communication and you know, just being present. But it was it was fun being the number one team in the country.
2: Yeah, that's awesome when you can uh, accomplish that. Um, going off what you said within that, is there something that you know now um, that you wish you knew back then? Uh, there's a lot, <laughs> which is why
1: I wrote the book <laughs> and why I have the show and why I, I wrote the e-course. Um, I just think that as coaches, we, um, we think everything is about X's and O's and that's really the smallest part of it these days that, you know, you have to reach your kids and you have to meet your kids where they are and understanding that not every kid going to be where you think they should be. And when you sign a kid and you coach a kid, you, you, you're committed to, you know, helping that kid reach their full potential. And it may be frustrating for you in the process. You you may fail at a lot of things in the process in terms of helping that kid reach their potential. And and if I had to do it over again, I probably would have been a lot more patient. Um, you know, with a few kids, I still would have been. I still would have had the same standards. You know, for excellence, um, but I might have handled some situations differently in terms of having more patience and understand that, you know. Just because I think something should be a certain way, you know, this kid didn't necessarily grow up the way that I did, so they don't have the same perspective. That makes uh, absolutely total sense.
0: Um, how has being a woman affected your career? Like, especially a woman of color. Um. Listen, um, I am who I am. <laughs>
1: so yeah. that that's never going to change. And um, I focus on just excellence and being really good at what I do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, building the right relationships, I'm very optimistic that if you do those things, and you'll get the opportunities. Um, I can't say I have or haven't had opportunities because of who I am, because I just I mean, it is what it is. Um, so I don't really pay a whole lot of attention to that. I just focus more on being excellent at what I do.
2: Yeah, I was uh, I was just thinking what you were saying about that, just being yourself. I think that's one of the best things that people can take away as well, that um, it doesn't matter who you are as long as you just am true to who you are and then people just um, follow and will accept that because changing yourself to fit into, into shoes that, are meant to fit for you is going to hurt you in the long run, so.
1: Yeah, and I think you know that's one of the reasons why I started my own show. And like I, I, I'm just going to make my own opportunities. <laughs> there's no, there's no reason for me not to to do the things that I want to do. Um, you know, there's plenty of ways to do uh, to to do it a different way. So if I didn't get a particular opportunity on television to, you know, and and I still may get that opportunity, you know i um, hope hoping someone sees my YouTube channel and turns it into, you know, a, a show on linear TV. But, but if not, I'm still reaching people, you know, doing the things that I want to do, um, you know, in my way. It doesn't have to be, you know, the, the quote unquote normal way.
0: Yeah, no, I, I know earlier... Um, and the day I went onto your YouTube page, I was looking through uh, some of the past interviews, I saw like a familiar face that we had on our show recently. And I was like, okay, uh, you know, I was checking it out and I was trying to take notes as well and also subscribe because I like try to pr- push and promote. I know. appreciate that. Uh, yeah, of course, no problem. Okay. so yeah, then that wraps up our first portion of our uh, interview. So now we're gonna have a little fun, and we want to transition to our rapid fire round. So it's our game within the game, where we ask you either or uh, questions. Um, eventually me and Brady is gonna to put together a, a scoreboard, just tallying up all the people's uh, different responses along <laughs> the way. But we uh we typically have a lot of fun during this segment. So I, my question for you is, are you ready to play this game? Yes. Okay, so the very first question that we always talked the already, the, you know, the person that we're interviewing off with is, um, do you prefer chocolate chip cookies or oatmeal raisin cookies?
1: Chocolate chip, of course.
2: The majority of the answers that we are, uh, we've been getting, occasional oatmeal, but I'd say my favorite is oatmeal. My I'm favorite chocolate. is
1: chocolate.
0: Yeah, my, my favorite is oatmeal. I even today, like I had I had two oatmeals and
2: one chocolate chip. So I put my preference is oatmeal. Uh so the next one we got is I uh, you prefer TV shows or movies?
1: Uh I mean I'm gonna hedge my bets on that. It's half and half, it depends on what it is. Uh, for the most part movies. Um, but but there are some TV shows that I like. Your favorite movie. Uh, loving basketball oh such a classic yeah just i've seen it about 30 times it was just on a couple of days ago and i still watched the whole thing all the way through
0: such a classic me me and my wife uh we watch that at least probably once a month i would say uh I, I can almost guarantee it's in a rotation at least once a month yep great movie always always um so here's here's another one for you uh, what's the favorite game that you call that your favorite moment or favorite game that you call that you would love to either relive or redo
1: oh wow uh that's a good question it's like asking which of your children is your favorite kid um i don't really i haven't had that game yet i'll say okay. that i haven't had that
2: okay. game yet that's a fair answer so we've had this question on um, past couple of podcasts so what is your favorite um WNBA jersey colorway with the new jersey that just came out with uh i mean i like the phoenix
1: mercury i'm a big diana Taurasi fan so it's kind of like whatever she wears
0: is cool that's that's my favorite player Okay. That's a, I mean, that's, that's a pretty slick Jersey though. Yeah. Um, Who were some of your uh, favorite <clears throat> coaches that you, you either envy or are I even throwing the option is um, when your coaches said you couldn't stand coaching against. <laughs>
1: uh, there aren't any coaches that I couldn't stand because we all go through the same things so um yeah there was never anybody that i i didn't like um favorite coaches i mean huge you know pat summit fan obviously um and and miss her a lot in the game um coaches love carol lawson um she's gonna do a great job at duke it won't be long before they're you know back where they um used to be for sure um Let's see on the men's side, he's not coaching anymore, but, but he coaches on air. I, I love Frank for I love how he, um, you know, approaches his broadcast and, and he teaches as well. So I love watching him uh, do that. And then obviously another former coach is, you know, Doris Burke, um, who does a, a great job as well.
2: Um, with uh, another one, um... If you could take over at any organization, um, no, doesn't matter what level or sport, which one would you take over? Uh,
1: Pittsburgh Steelers. Yep, I love okay. uh, that's that's been my favorite team since as long as I can remember. In my house, for some reason, uh, you know, you either had to be a Dallas Cowboy fan or Pittsburgh Steelers. So I picked uh, Pittsburgh, and that was my favorite team. And then the school I went to was black and gold, and. Um, then I ended up, uh, when I was coaching at Princeton, I got a chance to coach, um, Bill Cowher's daughter, Megan, a phenomenal kid. Um, so they've always been uh, my favorite team because they've been, you know, their, their, their longevity in the business as far as them being successful and, you know, how they, they keep their people. They don't just give up on somebody after a couple of years. They stick with their people and, um, do right by them. And so there, there are a lot of reasons why
0: Pittsburgh's my the team I would take over no that's a great historic franchise in the NFL that um me can't beat those black and gold um, uniforms um just the whole entire organization and stuff it goes beyond just the the jerseys and stuff you know? right it goes behind the whole tradition of the organization and um I, I don't think you could pick a better organization honestly <laughs> <laughs> um what is, um, I'll say your top five players of all time, and you can you can go across any sport; it doesn't have to be. Oh, one jeez. Yeah.
1: Uh, only five. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, again, Tarasi is is a big uh, one for me. Um. Shoot. Trying to think of the sports. Um I would say Tarasi, I would say Bill Russell. The legend I would yourself. say um Serena. Um I would say Jackie Robinson. Hmm. And I would say, uh, wow, that fifth one's really hard. There's so many.
0: Oh, yeah. Someone's going to get snubbed. Someone's going to get snubbed. Um,
1: Roger Staubach.
0: Okay. I like the list.
1: Try
0: to cover all the sports. Uh. No, I think you did an excellent job of covering all the sports because that's hard to do.
2: Okay, that that wraps up our our interview portion of that. Um, Where can our listeners and viewers, where can they find you at on uh, social media and everything to follow along with your career?
1: Yeah, so uh, my social media handle is hmw sports. they can go to YouTube where I have my show. It's uh, Helen Williams, HMW Sports. Um, please join my Facebook group, um, A Coach for the Coach, because that's where I have a lot of great information that other people can't get. Um, it's, it's where I started actually today where I launched my e-course. Um, and then Instagram, A Coach for the Coach as well. If they're old school and they still email, um, they can email me at hmwsc@outlook.com and if they're really, really old school and they want to use a the telephone, <laughs> they can call me at uh,
2: 888-412-1112. Gotcha. Uh, well, I'd like to thank you for joining us today. And then for the uh, people who are listening uh, on any uh, platform or watching us on YouTube, you can follow us at Catching the Game. On, you can search up on Instagram, Uh, You can find us on Twitter at CTG underscore podcast. And then also within Facebook and YouTube, you can search up Capturing the Game podcast. You can find us there too. Um, Again, Helen, I'd to thank you for joining Desmond and I today um, on this podcast. And we're hoping that someone can take the information that you said today and uh, use it for their everyday life. Appreciate you guys having me. Thank you.